0: You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Hello and welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture.
1: I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn And we are the hosts of this Politics and Pop Culture podcast. We come to your ear holes once a month to learn with you um about some big politics and pop culture moments that have happened that month um but also talk about you know what we've been up to and the things that we've read and watched and listened to so getting straight into it Micah how was your November 2021?
0: It was pretty great. Um I saw you in person. Mm -hmm. We did we had the best reunion. We did. So that was pretty wonderful. New York as a cliche it's just a great city miss it love it
1: it's very um, fun it was so fun in fact that we did not get around to recording any content for oh no. the podcast while we were reunited in person we were too busy um, eating bagels and going to bars and eating tacos and what other things have we eaten <laughs> there was a lot
0: <laughs> pizza uh, some notorious pizza not, uh, yep yeah. um, <gasps> A good time, and then I went really to Arizona, good. which was fun as well. Um, and then I came back to Canada, um, and where I am now, and then um, it was less fun, uh, but that, such as climate change, so there was that, yeah. That's busy month for you, Micah. It, it was a busy month.
1: It's exciting. I I Mm -hmm. also had a busy month, obviously raving with you around New York for the first part of it. I decided to take on NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Month Challenge, where you have to write 50,000 words of a novel in 30 days. And I did it. Uh, It was Mm -hmm. just a little little stressful, I think, (laughs) especially because I took quite a few days off to go to Thanksgiving um, in California to visit my boyfriend's family, which was lovely, but I did not get like any writing done while I was there because it was too busy eating all the food and watching all the movies and chilling all the time. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit of a scramble when I got back, but definitely worth it. I'm excited to make this
0: maybe a yearly tradition. Mm -hmm. We'll see.
1: (laughs) So amongst the, new yorking and the arizona-ing did you get to read much this month Micah?
0: i read so much and it was <gasps> fantastic um i'm gonna give two quick review shout outs because we've already talked about them on this podcast or mm-hmm. yes has read them um it's crying in h mart by michelle's honor aka japanese breakfast just like fantastic you should read it that's it oh read it when you're in a good mental space um
1: yeah, it's do very not sad. read it when you like find out that someone in your family is
0: sick or something like that. Yeah, I would not I, recommend no. that. Do that when you're like you're good. Um the mm-hmm. other book I read in my 2021 reading goals um was DeTransition Baby. Um which I loved. Um,
1: Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I want to nut this out cuz like I I did not love it.
0: Um my, I think what I loved about it the most was um, like the nuanced and authentic take on motherhood that the book mm-hmm. presents. Um, I really loved the discussions the characters had about it and kind of the different portrayals of motherhood throughout it. Um, as the title suggests, um, part of it is about transness. Um, but what I really liked about part of the motherhood stuff was it was about all different forms and it encompassed all parts of the ability to be pregnant or not be pregnant Um, and those kind of nuanced discussions I think are really useful and interesting this is just mostly because I like these are the things that um, I study and I think are fascinating so and I, I think it was really well written and I definitely like I read it like throughout my travels and I like was excited to like sit down and have a minute to read it for sure,
1: I definitely agree with you about the different portrayals of motherhood and what that means. I think like the author did a really good job of putting them all out there. I think I just grew really frustrated with how the characters were interacting with that. Like I found mm-hmm. at different times they were all really, really dismissive and negative towards other people's experiences, which is not like necessarily the author doing that. Like I think the fact that they, presented them all shows that they're all valid but it was just kind of like for me at times it felt like icky to read people yeah uh being so negative towards other ones which yeah I get it doesn't mean that the book is bad it just for me like I I didn't find that aspect of it enjoyable
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I understand Uh, that
1: look at us having a real Mm -hmm. grown-up discussion about a book
0: so okay yeah so then um if you've been following this podcast for quite a while um every once in a while we read books by youtubers um they're usually awful they're usually awful so this month i read out of love by hazel hayes um she's an irish youtuber but she's based in london um she, I think, would rather be called a filmmaker than a YouTuber. Hmm. Um, and much like the other YouTuber books that we have read, um, the main character is very similar to her, um, not a filmmaker, a writer, but also an uh, Irish woman who lives in London. Right. Um, and the reason why I wanted to read this, despite our really bad hit rate with <laughs> YouTuber books, you um. Is that I really thought the pitch was interesting. Um, it's a love story told in reverse, so the first chapter is their breakup, and the last chapter is when they meet. Oh, okay. Um, and so the premise is really interesting, and I think it um, that it like intrigued me so much that I picked up the book. Um, but I think the execution of the book did not meet the premise. Um, it sounds like a difficult one to pull off, like, if you're
1: basically yeah. showing how the story ends at the beginning. I feel like that could be difficult pe- to keep people intrigued.
0: That was definitely, there was clearly, like, I think the problem was is I could see her working while reading it. Like, you could see the kind of, like, oh, I need to hold back this so that you can still, like, read forward it in the book. and And, like, they did oh, keep things okay. back. But, like... Then it made the like scenes feel weird because you're like, oh, if you knew this because you've written the past first, but I didn't know this, and so it got a little odd. Um, I think it's telling that like the scenes I liked the most had nothing to do with the relationship that the book is based around. <laughs> um, that's funny. There were like specific chapters that were like moments in this woman's life that I thought were really well written or endearing um but they weren't about the relationship because the relationship you're set up to hate like he's awful at the end of their relationship which is the beginning of the book like he just like is mean and so then you have to go through the book and find out like one why their relationship kind of went off the rails and then you have to fall watch her fall in love with this guy who you know is gonna suck in the future Hmm. um so I thought it was really interesting. I like, it feels like a book to tackle not in your first book. Yeah,
1: it sounds difficult, but I am very interested in it. Because like, I just kind of want to read this execution for yeah. myself. So I'm just looking it up now, and I'm going to add it to my list. I think I recognize the cover, actually.
0: Yeah, it was the Barnes & Noble book of, of October. So that it makes like, sense. Yeah, I, came I to feel the like U.S. and was pretty big.
1: Yeah, I I feel like it looks familiar from a little trip <laughs> to BNN.
0: <laughs> what did you read this month?
1: I finally read *The Ballad of Snakes and Songbirds*, which Ooh. is the hunger games prequel the let me actually look up when that came out i think it was it was may last year so i've had a really long time to read this and i just haven't because i think in my head i was like i need to read the three hunger games again before i can do this one Mm -hmm. and i just like couldn't Not that I couldn't face into it because I really enjoy The Hunger Games, but I was like, there's so many other things I want to read before I can like commit to rereading three books that I've read many times before. Um, But, so didn't do that. Just listen to the audiobook of The Ballad of Snakes and Songbirds. It is a prequel that focuses on President Snow, the villain of the original series. So in this story, he is 18 He's in his final year uh, of school at the Capitol High School, and the school has sort of devised this plan where for that year's Hunger Games, which is like the 10th Hunger Games, certain Capitol students will serve as mentors for the tributes. So kind of like a super early version of like what Hamish was doing for Katniss and Peeta. So President Snow is one of the students, and his family are in a really financially dire situation after the war where, you know, the Capitol won and the rebels lost, and that's why we have the Hunger Games. And he is really motivated by, like, the rewards offered by doing well as a mentor um, to, like, lift his family out of this situation. And the story really shows his slow descent from pretty nice guy to a supervillain. Because his bid for survival and to land on top really shifts his morals. Um, I think, like, a lot of people had a problem with that because they sort of felt like by giving him this, like, sympathetic reason for him doing that, that, you know, we're – yeah, making – trying to make people like this guy who was horrible in the uh, original series. I actually, like, don't agree with that. I think – the original series showed how katniss was responding to survival and it was or like a like a need to survive Mm -hmm. and it was incredibly different so i don't really think that this was doing it to sympathize i think it was showing you how like two people being put in similar situations can turn out so differently and that's why one is a hero and one is a villain um i also really liked to see in this one how the games used to be because when we are seeing the Hunger Games as Katniss is going through them. It's the seventy fourth and seventy fifth Hunger Games, so it's cool to see like how they used to be when they first started, and how President Snow has influenced them. It turns out that like in this book, we see him introduce the idea of sponsors, which is mm-hmm. you know a fun little thing. Yeah, but I think it kind of goes a little bit far with those like fun little bits because um, it sort of ends up reading like fanfic. Like yeah. there's so many references to the original series there's things like people saying that idea could really catch fire and you're like oh no, no 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 and like people pointing out the catniss plants or there's like a whole origin story of the hanging tree song i think it's a little much but it's a pretty fun romp if you're a tribute i feel like maybe that's what we were calling ourselves as hunger games fans i, I don't can't remember. remember hunger games fandom name i feel we should have been the yeah we're the tribute for the tribute okay as tributes it was pretty fun <laughs> um okay what did you watch this month micah
0: oh i watched many things um the most recent thing I saw in theaters was House of Gucci, which you saw House of Gucci. I saw House of Gucci on like opening weekend. I was so you excited about it.
1: Father, son and the son house, and of, the house Gucci.
0: of Gucci. Literally for the week beforehand, I was father signing House of Gucci and myself. Um, I for those- thought that
1: this was like a serious movie until I mm-hmm. saw that trailer. And I was yeah. like, oh, this looks like a Lifetime movie now. Like This looks oh, yeah. silly if we're doing she, this.
0: Lady Gaga, oh, for, for those who can't see us, which is everyone um, in the trailer, if you haven't seen Lady Gaga, like crosses herself and says, Father, Son, House of Gucci. Yes, she very ad-libbed funny. that. That wasn't in the script. No! Yes. <laughs> um, so, I want to see it in
1: context. I want to know if it's amazing or not.
0: Um, I did do it in the theater. It was like full, the movie is full camp. Um, okay well that's which is interesting um so i would say very solid three star movie incredibly Mm, fun turn your brain off don't think about it too much um lady gaga and jared leto which like if you jared leto is in this movie but you would not recognize him he's under like 20 pounds of makeup um their performances really campy super fun um it's bizarre that people think lady gaga should get an oscar for this because it's not like it's just a fun performance it's like this is a
1: pantomime
0: yeah exactly um adam driver is a big contrast to it and has a very subtle performance which i really love um do they mash together
1: or is that weird
0: it's it kind of works i don't know it's a bit odd um he, there's a scene at the beginning and at the end where he's riding through the streets of Milan um on a bicycle and I could watch that forever. It's fantastic. Um and the soundtrack, there is an 80s version of in Italian of I'm a Believer. Is that the
1: Neil Diamond song from Shrek? Mm,
0: yes. <laughs> Amazing. Um so that's all fantastic. The the script um, deeply confusing um, you oh. like don't understand how the characters get from the beginning to the end um, huh. but it's fun so I would say it's definitely like a go have fun at the movies type of thing um, I like having fun at the movies yeah uh, that's great um, the other thing I watched which I just if you wanted to get into the Christmas spirit is the holiday home makeover with Mr. Christmas. Um, this is a very yes, yes show. Christmas. Who is um, Mr. Christmas? Who is Okay, Mr. Christmas, not a part, like clearly just made this title for himself for this show. Um, the show is like unhinged. It's a, a home makeover show for Christmas. Um, I watched it with a bunch of friends over Zoom. Um, Because we're all in like different places. And we thought it would just be like kind of cute Christmassy things, but the decorating is the most insane thing I've ever seen. And he like destroys this family's home. Um (laughs) at one point he puts fake like he puts glitter on their stairs to look like snow. But then you're like, use these stairs. (laughs) Um at one oh point, gosh. but so the pitch for the show is clearly like he pitched it to Netflix news, he was like, I'm going to go and like do this heartwarming story in this family's home and decorate their home. And then I'm going to do like DIY wrecks to like people. And there's this scene where he decorates this Christmas tree and it's the it's he ma- he's like, this is a Charlie Brown tree. It's not. It's like a very nice tree. And then he like puts everything a- and the kitchen sink on it. Like literally he puts like kitchen things on no! the tree, <laughs> and he's like, "Now it's beautiful." So if you want to feel like you're descending into Christmas madness, I do. Friends, I do. You watching I'm, it with friends? I'm like, um, cons-
1: I'm trying to look up like ugly. I just want to see like someone has like screenshotted the madness of this.
0: I don't like. I haven't seen anyone talk about it on. Yeah, the
1: there's website. nothing. Okay, I need to. Get but okay. it's like. I'll do it. I've
0: only seen one episode, my big Italian Christmas. So. Oh my gosh. But yeah. Great. I love it. I had to bring that to the people.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That's like much better than the Christmas things I've been watching, um, which were uh, the Blown Away Christmas. I love Blown Mm -hmm. Away, the glass blowing competition show, but the Mm -hmm. Christmas one just like didn't really do it for me. It was, yeah. I don't know. Didn't feel it. And then Bake Off Christmas is coming up, but I'm still really mad that uh, a certain someone was kicked off in the semifinal. So I'm Mm -hmm. actually in a little bit of beef with Bake Off at the moment. So I thought I would just double down on the Hunger Games chat, and I'm going to bring a Hunger Games conversation. And Mike, I really want to just have this with you. I feel like we talk a lot about fun YA stuff. So... Let's get into it. Um, I watched all four Hunger Games movies last weekend uh, when I got my COVID booster shot because I thought, okay, like I'm going to be feeling a little bit under the weather when I get this shot. So this is like the perfect time just to sit on the couch and be lazy for two days and watch these. Um, But it turns out I didn't feel bad. So I had no excuse. I felt absolutely fine. I just sat on the couch for two days watching Hunger Games. But I don't regret it. And I'm ready to have the conversation. So, Michael, when was the last time you watched The Hunger Games? I, I haven't have you even seen, seen them, all. them
0: all. I have not. Yeah, I feel I like that's seen, a crucial question. I've seen Hunger Games and Catching Fire. And I think I saw them in theaters. And that's the only time I've seen them. So it's been like a decade. How, when did those come out? A really long time ago.
1: They came out 20... 20- 12, 2013, 2014, and 2015.
0: Like, they literally came out. Nearly a decade.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't blame you for not having seen the last ones. I feel like we really dropped off there, and we'll get to that Mm -hmm. in a bit. But the first one, I got to say, it's, like, better than I remember. It Mm. was – genuinely very emotionally affecting and i think in large part because jennifer lawrence and josh hutcherson are genuinely good in it um i've been re-watching like a lot of the ya series uh things like the maze runner and mm-hmm. uh divergent and those performances are so like geared towards a teen audience that they don't really have any of the gravity that they these ones do like jennifer lawrence won like an oscar like not too long after doing the hunger games like these were legit actors and they really play it like the kind of horrific situation that it is um i actually was googling how donald sutherland got the part of president snow because he is so freaking good as president snow and Mm -hmm. apparently he read the script because he just likes reading scripts and he was like this is what the youth of today need. Like this will like wake up a dormant demographic and really show people like what kind of horrors could lie in our future. And he was like, I want to be president snow. And that's how he got cast. Like he reached out and he was like, can I please be president snow? Why? Um. So it's like people who like, I think just thought of this as like a more serious thing and a more legitimate thing. Um, message and movie maybe so they are really really good um and then Catching Fire which is kind of like the fandom fabe Mm -hmm. I I think the first one is still my favorite like I actually had always been a Catching Fire girl but I think have on rewatch like Hunger Games might be a little better but I just want to talk about like how good of an idea this was for a sequel. Like, sequels are normally bad, and the idea yes. to have an all-star Hunger Games, like, still blows my mind. I think that is so smart. Yeah. Um And it also introduced Finnick, who is, like, the hottest character in any YA adaptation. Do you remember him, Micah? Yeah, of course. He was... He's great. An awakening. Well, I mean... We were getting kind of old as this yes. these were happening. And I think that's the crucial point when we get to the mocking jays. Um, I think mo- the last two movies based on the last singular book had <laughs> two crucial problems. Number one, they came out in like twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen, when you and I, Micah, who were like core Hunger Games like audience, I think were like 17 18 like i was nearly 19 when Mm -hmm. uh mocking jay part two came out and i think the audience was just like aging out of it a little bit like it was just unfortunate timing there um but also because they split it into two movies they they did (sighs) jk rowling has given us like a lot of bad things in life but i think setting i know it wasn't her but like she produced the thing that set the
0: use the thing
1: i will die on the hill
0: that like deathly hallows good in two parts there's so much that happens in that i really like deathly hallows part one i realize this is a controversial opinion yeah it is they Um, just can't
1: it's silly but whatever it's fine yeah um
0: but every other movie that has been split into two parts that's a book ridiculous yeah, because, like, two-part Breaking Dawn, oh, nothing The problem in with that like, book.
1: Yeah, and it's, like, the, it, a one-part movie of that would have been so sick, because there's, like, yeah. only a few things that happen. It's, like, the wedding, the, the honeymoon. Sex. Yes. The, the, okay, I'll call it the honeymoon. I'll the use honeymoon. A euphemism. But you yeah. go for it, Micah. Um, the banging. Um, <laughs> and then... And then, But then she's, like, pregnant for, like, an hour and a half, probably. And, like, that bit's boring. Yes. So it's, like, if they had just, like, kind of shortened that to, like, 10 minutes. And then we have the birth of Renée's May, mm-hmm. And then basically, like, nothing kind of happens in the next movie except gathering people, which, like, I don't really care about. And then we get to the fake fight scene with Carlyle's head popping out. Like, if you had just, like, shortened the pregnancy bit and shortened everything in mm-hmm. part two before the fight at the end sick movie right there someone like, that should do been... that
0: they should just edit them and like they could do that right? really easy yeah
1: yeah well i think i actually said that um when we were watching mockingjay i was like i kind of want someone to edit these down because mockingjay part one is like spoiler alert but not a spoiler alert if you haven't watched it it's been out for as Micah said nearly a decade so i'm not really yeah. going to apologize but part one is like katniss is in district 13 with uh very randomly marshall ali and uh (laughs) philip seymour hoffman uh you know bizarre that
0: that was one of philip seymour hoffman's last movies i think it might have been his last movie because they had to like they
1: had to cgi his face into the the second one like there's parts where he's clearly like like cgi'd in um Mm Yeah, it is. So that's kind of weird. She's in a new District 13, and they're basically just, like, planning what they're gonna do. And PETA has been kidnapped by the Capitol. So all they do the whole movie is, like,
0: come up with these things called...
1: is Gale is unfortunately there as well, yeah. Um, They come up with these propos, like, they're propaganda films. So it's, like, them just essentially filming propaganda films for the whole first movie. And then the second one is, like, kind of sick. It just is, like, they just draw it out too long. Cause the second one is like them going into the capital, mm-hmm. And it's like, that is kind of like the hunger games of that movie. Like they, there's even a part where someone's like Finnick King is like, welcome to the 76 hunger games because they're going mm-hmm. into the capital, and there's all these like traps there. Um And I just think if they put it in one movie, then every installment would have had a hunger games. And it just would have felt like a cohesive trilogy rather than having like one because i think the thing that the hunger games did so well is that you buy into a premise right like with the yeah. maze runner you're buying into like oh there's all these kids in a maze but then you have to like read two books and two and watch two movies where like that's completely not the case like they basically break the premise at the end of the first movie and then something else happens and i'm like that's not what i really signed on for you know like mm-hmm. i signed on for kids in a maze and the same with divergent but the hunger games i'm like yeah, you're giving me Hunger Games all the way through until Mockingjay. And then it's just like Mockingjay part one just kind of mm. kind of sucks like that. Um, but I do want to read out probably the best uh, tweet ever that Mockingjay did give us. And it is um, from one Miley Cyrus. And she said, on the 5th of December, 2013, I want to see the new Hunger Games. <laughs> But that means I'll have to look at my ex for two fucking hours. <laughs> oh, I want a tattooed on me. Um, and she she should have. It was uh, catching fire and it's it's sick. So um mm-hmm. anyway, that was my like seven, eight year too late rant on the Hunger Games. Amazing. I just I've been doing a lot of YA catching up on this year. Not catching up, like re-enjoying and
0: good
1: i just feel it okay let's get on with the real show my guy like mm-hmm. it's finally done.
0: listening oh my gosh i forgot the listening yeah i just feel like i've been in
1: the, i feel like i've been in a hunger games i've talked about it so oh much sorry we're not ready for politics um micah tell so us funny. what you've been listening to
0: um new music very exciting. Amazing. Um, a new Snail Mail called Ooh. Valentine. Um, the Snail mail's amazing. Stage name for Lindsay Jordan. He does, like, indie rock, um, but this album, much more poppy. Um, the title track, great. Love it. Love Snail Mail. Hoping to see her in concert next year. Um, also, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's a new Adele album Um, a little bit i've heard a little bit about um it's called 30 um she's now 32 it's been that long since she wrote this album (laughs) um i learned so i've been kind of like somehow been following the press tour a little too closely um there's a great canadian interview if people are interested in canadian radio um yeah so that's great but at one point, I learned that this whole album was recorded. like if she the last song was done two weeks before U.K. lockdown, and she's just oh. been sitting on it for almost two years.:
1: Very unfortunate that it came out the week after Red Taylor's version then, because
0: yes. <laughs> um, yeah, she... what was the thought I had? um that's why she like petitioned spotify to get rid of shuffle on albums um because she had spent the two years she after did recording, she did um she's successful she was successful well i think i can still shuffle albums though right I or is know. it just her
1: one you can't shuffle? maybe it's just
0: hers but she um she spent the two years deciding on the track order um so she like wow. is very dedicated to it um i don't know i like adele she's lovely um Oh yeah, this doesn't have a shuffle option. Yeah. Damn. Um if you wanted to listen to individual songs, I really like Cry Your Heart Out or Oh my God, both of those. Very good. Um I just, yeah, she makes you feel things. And it makes me also feel I don't know, I I loved her first, I guess, three albums. So
1: oh. new Adele. Did you um hear about the Australian exclusive interview that went south no okay so this guy from australia mm-hmm. got like their country's like exclusive interview mm-hmm. and he had to fly to the uk in this yes. climate um, to do the interview and when he got there they did the whole interview and then at the end she was like what did you think of my album and he was like i actually haven't listened to it oh no yeah yeah and then I think, like, Sony had, like, veto rights on the interview, and they were like, no.
0: Well, so, so. in the Canadian one, what's so good about it is they, like, spent – he – Tom Powers the interviewer, and he he's clearly read and listened and sat with the album quite a bit, and they right. have this long conversation about mental health, and, like, they're both of their struggles, not just hers, and, like, oh. talking about, like, how writing brings her solace, and it, like – Great pitch for the album. It did exactly what the interview was supposed to do. Because I was like, I want to hear like Adele working through yeah. her problems and coming out the other side.
1: Well, definitely the opposite of the Australian one. We'll never hear that yeah. interview. Um <laughs> so they got, sad got vetoed, but just very listen funny to story. it.
0: Adele never comes out with new music. Listen to the Adele album. It's like not that long.
1: Yeah. I think it was like before it was actually released, and he said that he missed the email that had like the link to <laughs> i thought it was very very funny you know i'm I'm glad that happened that gives us a better story
0: yeah
1: um as i mentioned just before i listened to red taylor's version this month like a Mm -hmm. lot specifically 10 minute all too well which everyone did is life-changing like i was kind of skeptical about this because like to be honest all too well is like not my favorite taylor swift song Like, I know it's most people's, like, Mm -hmm. and especially on Red, but it's, like, not my favorite. And then the 10-minute one came, and I was like, oh, shit, this is my favorite Taylor Swift song. Like This is so freaking good. I think the music video or, like, the kind of short film that she did around it with uh, YA homie Dylan O'Brien was amazing. And obviously Sadie sing from Stranger Things. And I just love that it doesn't feel like a 10-minute song. Like, it's... Mm -hmm. It, it doesn't feel like it drags or anything. So, loved that. And then, in terms of live music, I went to see Hamilton Lighthouser this month, who I've spoken a lot about on the podcast. I love him. He mm-hmm. is known for being the lead singer of the Walkmen, who were pretty big in the early, well, throughout the 2000s. Um, and now, as a solo artist, he was doing a fall mixer with Kevin Morby where they were both headliners and they shared a band and it was like really cool to see how having this like set band that they shared changed their music like there was a few songs that Hamilton performed that were like really really different to how they sound on the record or how I've heard him perform them before so it was Mm -hmm. cool to see how this band that included like there was a guy who was on like a saxophone and a flute how that really changed things. So that was awesome. And the vibe of a fall mixer was very fun. Like it was super chill. There were lots of moments, especially the end where both the singers came on stage and just like sang their like songs together. And they were actually joined by some special guests, including Waxahachie, which was very special. So had a great time at that, really enjoyed it. And now we are ready to get into the podcast <laughs> So here we are in politics. Finally.
0: yeah. Finally. After a false alarm, we got here. Mm-hmm. So um, many political things happen in the world. Some of them I just don't want to think about. So we're going to talk about a fun one. Um, it's the end so- of the year. We deserve this. You know, we have to just... <sighs> I have to get through it somehow. Yeah. Also, all the things I could talk about are still developing. So maybe mm-hmm. in January we'll hit you up with them. Um, but I want to talk to you about the winners of the 2021 Turner Prize, um, the Array Collective. So what is the Turner Prize? It's a prestigious annual um award to a british visual artist so it's an art prize um disseminated by the tate modern in london Um, famous winners in the past have included damien hurst who's a painter and then steve mcqueen who's a director um and you might be asking isn't this the politics section why are we talking about an art prize. Well, the array collective who won um, specifically works on art that functions as activism. Um, And I thought that was really cool. And they seem like cool people. They're also from Northern Ireland. So I thought that'd be cool. Um, When I was reading and we'll like link their Instagram and stuff and their website, they seem to use very specific words to describe what they're doing. They're clearly, like, very plugged into, like, art criticism and, like, activism scholarship. Um, I might not use those words because there's they were very specific. So just... You're
1: only just human, Micah. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Yes, we will we'll be okay.
0: <laughs> so who are the Array Collective? Um, They were formed in 2016, and this is a quotation from them, to create collaborative actions in response to socio-political issues affecting Northern Ireland. Um, So they're based out of Belfast, and there are 11 artists in the collective, and they are all kind of, they all do different types of art, so like some of them are painters, and some of them are filmmakers, and actors, and other such things. And they're very specific in their, um, like, about what their collective is, is that it's, like, non-hierarchical. So they all work together collaboratively to make this art. Um, And they see and understand their art to be activism. Um, And that kind of runs the gamut of different things that we would think more of as activism. So it goes stuff from, like, street interventions, so, like, coming into the street and, like, making Um, like doing some sort of art display um, to like participating in protests. Um, They often host banner making um, events at their studio that's in central Belfast. Um, Sometimes they host symposiums um, and then they also as individuals and a collective make different art that's about activism. Um, And part of it is that they Attempt to use humor to forward um, their goals. So, um, an example of this is they carry around this large pink banner that says "Stop ruining everything." Um, That's funny. Yeah, and so they like, bring this to like different protests or like outside of um, the like parliamentary buildings.
1: It's very multifunctional.
0: It's very multifunctional, and it's like pink and shiny. It's very cool, um, and they. On their website, they say that they're proud of our humor and use it mercilessly. We're only ever punching up. So they want to be funny, but they want to criticize those in power and not those without power. Um, And I think important in this is that they are really, they don't just like show up to a random protest and like have, do like a funny skit they're really involved in the politics that they're a part of. So either they're like members of the communities um, or they're like strong allies with the communities. So they're not, they're never trying to like usurp someone's voice. They're just trying to bring attention to certain things. Um, So that's kind of how they've started. I think their politics is really interesting and it really shows up in their art quite a bit. So their biggest and most foundational thing is they're trying to create a new basis for identity and politics in Northern Ireland. So we've talked about Irish politics a lot on this podcast in and out. Um, and so Northern Irish politics as well in that. And if you remember from those discussions or from the world in general, Northern Irish politics is centered around uh, like religious ethnic identity, i.e., Catholics versus Protestants, and that's been for so long the kind of the basis of the politics and kind of the defining factor. Um, and so, what they try and do with their art is to show that that isn't the only basis for politics in Northern Ireland, and that there are other important identities at play, and that not everyone fits into this Catholic versus Protestant dynamic. Um, And they do this a lot by using um, images and themes from pre-Christianity Ireland. So, like, different type of Gaelic fairy tales and mythologies and stuff like that. That's awesome. I love this. (laughs) It's really cool. Um, So, one thing they do is they have these three characters who they, like, dress up as and go around to, like, in protest. But also, they went to london to like film these videos of them um i think this was so if you haven't been tuning in northern ireland um doesn't really have any representation currently because they've been incapable of forming a government um so london they're kind of like london determines what happens there but like they don't really have any voice um and so they've been going to london and like protesting and stuff. So they have these characters that are based on kind of pre-Christian Irish mythology. Um, which is really cool. That's awesome. Um, and so they've been to like, they have a bunch of different things that they're interested in. I think the basis is like, how do we imagine Northern Ireland outside of Catholicism and Protestantism? Mm-hmm. But they also have like, actual like things, that you, like protests that you didn't think of. So they're interested in queer liberation, so they go to Pride every year and they bring these characters. Um, they're very much interested in abortion rights, which is a huge issue in Northern Ireland. Um, since the 2018 Women's March, they've been going... They've been having these banners and these cardboard cutouts featuring... And I'm going to watch this pronunciation. Um, Sheila Nagig, um, who is an ancient fairy like imagery of a woman who, um, kind of represents, um, like, fertility, I guess, and so they, like, have these, and they're, she's kind of, like, comical looking and a little bit crude, um, and so they have these, like, sticks figures of her and stuff like that that they carry around, um, and she's supposed to demonstrate that, like, the right to choose and the right to, like, determine your own fertility existed long before Catholicism came to Ireland, um, They also have other interesting um, goals and political aims. So they um, are involved in struggles for uh, mental health access. um, And also Irish language politics is a big thing. Um, They also are interested in things like gentrification. So recently they found out that their studio, um, they'll be kicked out of it because um, the rent is going up, and they can no longer afford that. So they are really interested in the fact that, or want to find ways for people to actually like be able to live in Belfast, which, like, I think is having similar issues to um, the Republic of Ireland, where there's just like housing is ridiculously yeah. unaffordable. Um, so they're interested in that. Um, I so they act- so in winning the Turner Prize, they get and I think they get like twenty three. Thousand dollars, um, whatever that is in pounds, and right. so that will help them get um studio space. Um, they're also interested in uh fighting against British colonialism, um, but then also social welfare is a big issue and also eco politics. So they have this kind of broad ranging political vision and they mm-hmm. do different types of protests. Um and art pieces to um, kind of bring attention to these issues. So part of the Turner Prize is you get they do this big exhibition with all of the people who are nominated. And this time it's in Coventry. Um, and they kind of did this interactive space, immersive space as their exhibition. Um, it's their version of a she-bean, but it's pronounced... S I B I N. It's written. Um, it's the written. That's, okay. that's the word. <laughs> um, and so, that um, the space is, it's like a historical speakeasy that originated in the late 18th century in Ireland. Um, and so, they have their own version of this. They call it um, a pub without permission outside the sectarian divides. And so basically, as I understand it, you like walk into this room and there's all of these flags and banners, which are a commentary on Northern Ireland's 100 year history of campaigning. So like each piece in there is kind of chosen with a purpose to talk about like different political movements in Ireland. Wow. So you go through the space, but then at the end it's just like a typical Northern Irish pub, and there's like a TV playing football. And I I'm think, I it don't know right if there are now, It looks, it looks awesome. really cool. Yeah. Um, the Guardian has a cool description of it. They say the warmth of the space is a way of diffusing the tensions and traumas inherent in Northern Ireland's past and present, and inviting visitors not to move on, to sit and think about them in a context that doesn't feel too worthy or didactic. As Miller puts it, where would you rather be, the pub or a gallery? Mm, that's um, fun. Yeah, so they're kind of they're trying to bring with their humor, like, a levity to mm-hmm. politics and bringing people in to think about them in a way that isn't too intimidating. Um, I think that's really cool, especially in the spaces like in an abortion protest, like, that place is often quite serious and sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and having, like, something to laugh at. It reminds me kind of, like, um, we were at... in like i guess february march of 2018 the march for our lives in boston Mm -hmm. um and so many of the posters were like memes this also happened yeah and i think they also i went to the um climate strike in 2019 in montreal and that was also kind of a big feature so i think this is kind of like a part of pandemic art
1: yeah, yeah, or just like a new generation where yeah, it's, it's like a you can a talk about serious part. things with a less serious tone as like an access mm-hmm. point, maybe.
0: Yeah, and I think the most of the collective is a bit older than that. Like they're in their like late twenties, thirties, right? But I think that kind of general it makes politics more approachable, which I think yeah, is really for cool. sure. Um, the Turner Prize usually. Is given out to singular artists, um, but this year all the nominees were art collectives, and they were specifically art collectives that had political aspects. So, um, for example, the cooking sections um, are a collective that highlight the problems with salmon farming. Um, Ooh, what and it was specific, <laughs> very specific. There's also I can't remember the name of the collective, but it was a collective of um, black trans and gender nonconforming youth who set up um, like parties that are like immersive experiences. That's cool. Yeah. So they're in London. Um, there's also this collective in called gentle slash radical uh-huh. um, who are Welsh. And it's a group of ministers and youth workers who are trying to bring art to poor households. Oh, wow. Yeah. So all of these, they all got some prize money, which is really nice. Um just like I think alright, Collective got a little more. Um, yeah. And so normal, they have, the Turner Prize has been given to a collective in the past, but it's not very common. Um, but the Tate argued that given that not a lot of um, art exhibits have been put on this year by individual artists, it made sense to give it to a collective who does art in kind of non-traditional spaces. Yeah. Um, they also argued that art, like right now, what we need is art that like brings us together, and so awarding it to an art collective makes sense. Um, some people were not very excited about this. Um, the art <laughs> critic, um, I think for The Times, London, um, Rachel Campbell Johnston, was very blunt about it. She said the problem is their art is terrible. Oh, hmm. um, well, that's is one person's opinion. <laughs> very. Um, but I think to that. Um, Specifically in choosing a right collective, the jury um, in their statement said um, about the collective, what they deal with is really serious stuff, LGBT issues, feminist perspectives on issues today in a divided society, even a sectarian society. Um, What the jury feels is remarkable is that the kind of amazing lightness of touch and and, playing conveniality. Um, in the sense of hospitality and a sense of carnival that they bring to the work. So I think they kind of see the beauty in it, not as like traditional serious art that you would see in a, in a gallery. Yeah. Um, And I think this, the Array Collective today, yesterday posted on Instagram once they found out they had won um, and it, really they brought it full circle to about how their art is political um and they highlighted specific work that still needs to be done and specifically i think when the um like nominations of the awards um were announced it was in the middle of um some increased violence in palestine and so they highlighted particularly um the importance of palestinian liberation um but they also talked about um, other issues, specifically in Ireland, um, and in this statement, they said, "Including art and social movements demonstrates how art activist practice can help ignite progress for the collective good." But even when we make important gains, there are still people left in the margins. Abortion may have been decriminalized, but access is still blocked by our executives. Access to HIV medicine and trans healthcare or LGBT inclusive consent-driven sex education is dire. And we need a ban on conversion therapy immediately. Um, and so, I think they're they're continuously looking forward, and I think they know that the money that they've made will, um, they've won, will bring this forward. Um, so exciting! Hopefully, it is exciting. Um, and I think the C- Campbell one of she's kind of is not hierarchical, but she's one of the people who's been talking the most to the press and the collective. Mm-hmm. Um, in one of the interviews, she said, all art is political, even if the artist doesn't think it is. I love that. That's like the ethos
1: of our show almost, right? Yeah.
0: Like everything we make is about power and how we like walk through the world and that in itself is political. So I thought that was really wonderful. We'll link their website and their Instagram in the show notes because they're very cool. Um, And it's cool to see like politics in a like fun and humorous way
1: yeah i can't wait to follow them on instagram yeah. i'm really excited to see more of the cool stuff that they do so for the pop culture segment of the show this week we didn't so much tease this on instagram as just told you and <laughs> How could we not? But this month we will be talking about the relationship between one Kim Kardashian and one Pete Davidson and how it ties to greater trends in the celebrity relationship landscape. So let's start off with a little refresher for anyone who lives potentially on Mars about who Kim Kardashian is. So she (laughs) is a 41 year old who. A lot of people will tell you is famous for being famous, but more concretely uh, has starred in her recently ended, but will be starting up in a new format, I believe on Hulu's, uh, her reality show, Keeping Up With The Kardashians, along with her family members and its various spinoffs. And she also has a lot of brands. So she has a makeup brand, but kind of the one that's having the most buzz at the moment is Skims, her line of intimates and loungewear. But as today we'll be focusing on her love life, I thought we would do a little... Uh, dive back into the history of her relationships. So Kim first got married in 2000 to music producer Damon Thomas when she was just 19, and they got divorced in 2003. So Kim is single for a while. Then she starts getting uh, pretty famous as Paris mm-hmm. Hilton's friend. She gets her show. Isn't she Paris
0: up. Hilton's assistant.
1: I apologize, Paris Hilton's assistant closet organizer, I think, was one of her specialities. Um, And then she got her show, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So while on the show, she married basketball player Chris Humphries in 2011, Mm -hmm. which was a marriage that very notoriously ended after just 72 days. And this was following a huge media circus. There was... Keeping Up With The Kardashian uh, special episodes, there was exclusive magazine spreads, there was a themed fragrance, it was a, a whole rigmarole that ended in 72 days. And while she was still legally married to Humphreys, Kim started dating her longtime friend Kanye West, the very, very famous rapper, in April 2012. And they ended up having a huge wedding in 2014 and then went on to have four children. Sadly, earlier this year, they agreed before court that they would be ending their marriage. Uh, Kanye, who struggles with bipolar disorder, has this very big ranch in Wyoming that he seems to want to spend more time in in California, which is where Kim's whole life is. And on an episode of Keeping Up With The Kardashians, Kim said... I don't want a husband that lives in a completely different state and shared that she wanted to find someone she can really share her life with, which Mm -hmm. she didn't feel was happening in her current relationship. So I wonder if it will be happening in this next one, which uh, the origins of go back to October 9th of this year, when Kim hosted Saturday Night Live. And in her opening monologue, she roasted her entire family. It was very funny, Um, including Kanye. She made a joke about divorcing him because of his personality And Kanye, who is now known as Ye, by the way, uh, was not happy about this. Uh, despite publicly being in another relationship, uh, which has since ended with model Irina Shake, who was actually previously married to Bradley Cooper. Yeah, there's like a whole a whole sphere going on here. So he said on the Kanye said on the Drink Champs podcast. SNL making my wife say I divorced him because they just wanted to get that bar off and I ain't never even seen the papers. We're not even divorced. That ain't no joke to me. My kids want their parents to stay together. I want us to be together. So some confusing words there. I -hmm. think a lot of people thought that maybe they were getting back together when Kim showed up at the Met Gala um, earlier on before the uh, Saturday Night Live appearance and she was wearing um, like a full Black yeah. body stocking, essentially, which is kind of very much of Kanye's art vibe. Uh, there was also the album release event of, or like a listening event of Kanye's album Donda this year when Kim was part of the show in like a wedding dress. Mm-hmm. So people. It,
0: was it her? I wasn't sure if it was like unclear. It was her.
1: I think so. Yeah well she was definitely there anyway which Mm -hmm. like i think people were kind of keen to jump on the getting back together i mean that to me i'm like they co-parent four kids so like i i that doesn't surprise me but it seemed like there was some hints that maybe they were getting back together but then she did this snl appearance he wasn't happy but seemed to want them to be together A little confusing there. Um, But aside from the monologue, Kim was in a variety of sketches, including an Aladdin and Jasmine skit where she kissed SNL cast member Pete Davidson. Mm -hmm. And this was like kind of a funny joke in it because Pete is like a pretty weird looking dude who is widely known for dating a lot of incredibly beautiful and successful women. And people find this crazy. And Kim Kardashian was going to be like, the next level craziest one of these. So, yes. to give you a little background on who Pete has David uh, dated, he was famously engaged to Ariana Grande, which is probably the relationship that sticks out most in people's mind. Mm-hmm. We actually have a whole episode on that that we will link in the show notes. Um when he first came on the scene, he was dating comedian Cassie David, who is Larry David's daughter. Uh, he's dated Kate Beckinsale, which raised some eyebrows because she's quite a bit older than him, which I mean, I don't see anything wrong with, but it was, you know, kind of like a bit of a flex, people thought. Um, Kaya Gerber, who is quite a bit younger than Pete and is the daughter of Cindy Crawford. Margaret Qualley, who is the daughter of Annie McDowell, and Phoebe Deniver, who was in Bridgerton and this was like literally right after Bridgerton Mm. came out. So there has yeah, been a lot of action going on on Pete's side and Kim, the little kiss with Kim seemed like the craziest one of them all. Nori's black book, which is a parody Instagram account written from the perspective of Kim's eldest daughter, Northwest posted a screenshot of the kiss with the caption, some things I'll be discussing with my therapist this week. (laughs) Like that's how kind of ridiculous (laughs) and funny. All this seemed back in October when we were all young and innocent, because Mm -hmm. now it appears that things have evolved into an actual relationship. So on October 29th, Kim and Pete were photographed holding hands on a roller coaster at Not Scary Farm in Buena Park, California. Um, It was reported that they were with a group of people, including Kim's sister, Courtney, and her fiancé, Travis Barker, of Blink-182. But they were holding hands, so, you know... Mm on November second, they were spotted having dinner together on Staten Island, which is where Pete <laughs> is from. And you can tell yes. by the way Micah and I are laughing. Like, if you're not from the U.S. and are not familiar with Staten Island's relationship uh, for like reputation, it's like it's not good. Like, it's, it's the Forgotten kind of, Borough. Yeah, it's like New York City's like
0: i was to say it's new york city's like. jersey but jersey is new york city's jersey
1: yeah it's it's a weird place so it mm-hmm. was kind of pretty wild that kim kardashian of all people had been there uh on november 7th rapper flavor, flavor Flav posted a pic <laughs> of himself again the story just gets more wild a pic yeah. of himself kim pete and kim's mom chris jenner in matching skims pajamas to celebrate pete's 28th birthday and then they've been spotted various more times since including on november 23rd when pete was spotted seemingly on a date with kim with an alleged hickey on his neck mm-hmm. so it seems like yeah this Saturday Night live performance has evolved into a full-on relationship But maybe not. Some people are having doubts. Some people are not buying that this is an actual relationship. Why? Okay. Well, aside from the Flavor Flav photo, there's also been a time when Pete and Kim were out and about and he was wearing skims and people thought that this was just like a little bit overblown like is this maybe a way to drum up publicity for skims um or maybe pete has a new netflix special coming up soon or something people were getting a little suspicious. there's also a video from this occasion that um in in the photographs they're holding hands but in the video it's like you can see it's like a split second of hand-to-hand contact which has also put some doubt in people's minds And some people have also suggested that Kris Jenner, known to be a mastermind momager, has devised this fake relationship or fanned the flames of it as a way to distract the public from Kim's sister Kylie Jenner's connection to the Astroworld tragedy. So this was of course a crowd crush that occurred on November 5th on the first night of the Astro World Festival which was an event in Houston, Texas organized by rapper Travis Scott in which 10 people at the time of recording have died and 25 more were hospitalized. So a really tragic mm-hmm. event that ha- occurred this month and Kylie shares her daughter storming with Travis Scott, and she's actually currently pregnant with their second baby. And she was at the event standing backstage. She shared Instagram stories um, from that night, from the side of Sage footage of Travis performing, but you can see like ambulance in the crowd. And the last time she posted to her feed was November 4th the night before. And there's like lots of comments on that post of uh, people criticizing her for publishing the stories and leaving them up. And now the comments have been limited there. So Mm -hmm. the timelines like don't exactly line up for that story. Like obviously um, Kim and Pete were spotted at the farm beforehand. They were spotted at Staten Island, but there's maybe like a plausible theory that they were just, friends having a good time and that this has all been, all these like anonymous source quotes we're hearing now is Kris Jenner diverting attention from Kylie. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, But it did get me thinking about fake celebrity relationships. Like it's a thing that we hear a lot about people being in relationships for publicity. And to me, like, Kim Kardashian is too big to ever need to do something for publicity. Like, I don't think she needs to do anything for publicity anymore. Like, she's yeah. one of the biggest people on the planet. Um, but she was actually accused of this very thing before when she was married to Chris Humphreys. Uh, a lot of people thought it was just very suspicious that this marriage lasted 72 days after she'd managed to get quite a lot of money and fame out of it. Uh her and Courtney were asked about this on the David Letterman show and Courtney pointed out that Kim would have chosen someone more famous if she wanted (laughs) fame which is a good point um so while like I don't think that Kim can like date up for fame like I don't know unless she was going to date like Prince Harry or something um (laughs) other people can there have definitely been some instances of people who potentially were in some PR relationships so around the time that the Superman movie Man of Steel came out in 2013 the star of that uh, Henry Cavill began dating uh, Kaylee Kuoko, who was very big as one of the stars of Big Bang Theory at the time Mm
0: -hmm. and it turned out
1: that they were represented by the same PR company and then that relationship ended. Pretty quickly after the movie came out, so people thought that one seemed a little staged for publicity. People have also accused Taylor Swift and Tom Hiddleston of being in a fake relationship back in 2016 because it seemed like was very very sudden and over the top situation. Like Tom was seen wearing an iHeart TS shirt. And people thought that maybe he was trying to raise his profile in a bid to become the next James Bond, because this was at a time when we thought Daniel Craig was going to bow out. Um, To me, that seems like more legitimate than Mm -hmm. Kim doing it for Skims. Um, But then people also thought that maybe Taylor was doing this to divert attention from her scandal with kim kardashian which was when kim released a recorded phone call of taylor seemingly agreeing to kanye mentioning her in a lyric of his song famous which she had denied having knowledge of mm-hmm. so yeah i can see people doing it for pr and very specific circumstances and to divert attention um there's other reasons, you know, when they got back together this year, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez were accused of being in a relationship for, uh, like, as an advertising project or for their uh, Jenny from the Block music video or, like, to get footage for their Jenny from the Block music video recreation. Like, this is a video that came out, like, 17 years ago, and people think they're recreating it. Um mm-hmm. There's obviously times in old Hollywood where stars were forced into fake relationships to hide their sexuality because their managers feared that the truth would damage their careers. So it's definitely like a thing that happens. I just... I don't think it's for publicity in this situation. I I mm-hmm. think maybe some flames are a fan to divert negative attention, but I don't think it's for publicity. What is I your just thought on that?
0: Can you imagine... Seen Pete Davidson in Skims and like not being a person who would buy Skims before, but now you're a person who would buy Skims. right. But that's not going to do a lot of conversion. um No, yeah. no. And like as I said, she
1: just doesn't need it. Like it's Kim Kardashian. Like she can like get people to wear her Skims anytime. It just yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't think she needs it. But the other thing that this made me think of is how crazy 2021 has been as a year for love. Like Kim and Pete are just the latest in a long line okay. of seemingly unlikely couples who have emerged this year. So I'm going to touch on a few. Micah, if you can think of any, I would love to like discuss them. Mm-hmm. But we have the previously mentioned Ben and Jen, Bennifer. Uh They were actually engaged 17 years ago and are now back together. Legitimately not for a Jenny from the Block music video recreation. We have Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde. This kind of drove people wild um, because Olivia, who is 37, had been in a relationship with Jason Sudeikis for nine years. And the two shared two children, but they split in November 2020. And then in January, there were some pictures of her holding hands going to a wedding with Harry, who... Is the 27 year old pop star who will be in an upcoming movie that she's directed,
0: and I'm so excited for this movie. It's gonna be yeah,
1: great. it's it's. I think it'll be good. Olivia Wilde did a great job at Booksmart. Harry's great. Florence Pugh is great. It's gonna be awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, definitely an unexpected relationship. We also have Aaron Rodgers and Shailene Woodley, the footballer and actress, respectively who kind of seemed like they'd never crossed paths and then Mm -hmm. surprised everyone this February when it emerged. They were engaged. Um, He is obviously embroiled in a bit of a COVID vaccine scandal at the moment. Um, So, you know, not our favorite couple. But I think moving on to, like, maybe the most surprising one, um, John Mulaney and Olivia Munn. So this one came as a huge shock to people. Basically, uh John Mullaney had been married to his wife, uh, Anna Marie Tendler for seven years. And earlier this year he filed for divorce, which surprised a lot of people.
0: Yeah, because he's like a wife guy. Yeah. Like, he all like this a comedy lot of, yeah. I love my wife. Yes.
1: A lot of it revolved around like his relationship with his wife. And it was all about them and like their apartment and their dog. And It seemed like a great relationship from what we could see and like that he was very settled as like a married guy to a quirky artist lady. Um, But a few days after that filing emerged, uh, there were rumors that he was dating Olivia Munn, the actress uh, that they had apparently Mm -hmm. met at church and everyone was incredibly surprised by this. And then everyone was even more surprised in September when John Mulaney announced that he and Olivia Munn were expecting a baby together. So um, there's obviously been like some kind of uh, very annoying and like circular discussions about people having parasocial relationships with John Mulaney or people having parasocial Mm -hmm. relationships with the word parasocial. Um, (laughs) And, you know, whether it's a good idea to have like a major life change, like, a baby if you have uh been to rehab this year that's not really our business um but yeah that one not
0: even his business it's olivia munn's business
1: yeah that one that one like was pretty controversial i i think we might discuss that next month as well when we talk about (laughs) the defining moments of 2021 Mm -hmm. this was definitely a saga that the world heard um but yeah, there were some pretty crazy celebrity relationships that emerged this year. Have you got any other ones, Micah?
0: Not off the top of my head. Those are those are the highlights for sure.
1: Yeah, they were pretty shocking, I think. Uh, but maybe Kim and Pete take the cake. We'll see. I'm excited yeah, to so. see how that relationship progresses. If it's real, who knows? I don't know. But all I can say is thank you, celebrities, for all this hashtag content. It has been a joy to speak that of. Alrighty, That brings us to another episode end. We are at the end of our November 2021 episode. It's time for us to say goodbye, but we know you'll probably want to see what we're up to because Why not? We're so interesting. We're so cool. Um, Oh, yeah. See me sit on my couch, watch the princess switch. Um, All sorts of (laughs) cool, cool stuff. Um, But if you do want to keep up with the podcast, we are on Instagram as at DTCBS podcast. I am on Instagram as at Yasmin Lomax. Micah, what are you on Instagram as? At Micah Hahn. That's you. We're all pretty
0: straightforward here. We make it easy for you to follow
1: along. And we're excited to catch up with you in December for a little look back on the year. We like to do a little Mm -hmm. fun wrap-up episode, and this is going to be a good one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess all that's left to say is Bye. bye. Bye.